having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. You're listening to The Six O'Clock Squirrel with me, Nick Cater, and my sparring partner, Tim Blair, the blogger to the nation and a columnist with The Daily Telegraph. Today's podcast is brought to you by the letter J, the consonant we're tipping to replace the W in the word woke. Shortly, we'll be joined by Alex Antic, a calm voice of reason in the madhouse known as the Australian Senate, the man who brought the Senate committee to a halt by asking the question, what is a woman? A question, incidentally, which still hasn't been answered. But we'll start with the breaking news that the staff at the Washington Post have made twits of themselves on Twitter over nothing in particular. Tell us the details, Tim. Yes, this all began, believe it or not, this all began on Friday the 3rd when a Washington Post journalist called Dave Weagle retweeted a joke. The joke in its entirety was as follows. Every girl is bi... You've just got to figure out if it's polar or sexual. <laughs> that was that's, that's all it took. It's a reasonable joke, isn't it? Reasonable. It's, a, it's not a great one, but it's a play on the word "by." It's yeah. not great. It's it's worth it's worth the response that you just gave it there. Anyway, a, a colleague of uh, Mr. Weagle, Felicia Sonnes, took exception to the joke and replied on Twitter that. You know, sarcastically saying, no, isn't it fantastic to work in a newsroom where this sort of stuff is tolerated? And uh, that set in train a remarkable civil war within the newsroom, Washington Post newsroom. Now, people have got to understand there's no right-left aspect to this. The Washington Post is entirely of the left. So it was a massive internal brawl without without your um, conservative versus leftist mm aspects to it. Mm. It was just personalities. They're all very toxic there. Now, Felicia Sonmez continued her tirade, launching against other colleagues. Obviously, the Washington Post has some sort of uh, deep-seated issues that were brought to light by this uh, seemingly minor Twitter exchange. Mm. It ended up with Weagle being suspended without pay for a month, Felicia Sonmez being fired on Friday after one week of, uh, of just throwing bombs everywhere. And, uh, and it's ongoing. Now, this, the, the, the thrilling background to this is Sonmed was previously, Sonmed's rather, was previously suspended by the Post in 2020, uh, 2019, I think. Mm. Sued the paper herself a year later, a year or so later, and that legal action is ongoing. And people are uh, speculating that this, uh, this uh, Twitter... This Twitter frenzy was um, is is part of a legal strategy to sort of uh, to win her case against the post. It's all incredibly complicated and hellish, and it might not be over uh, even with her firing. You get the impression that they, they actually they don't actually talk to one another in person, do they? They they communicate via Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the same office. The entire thing they, was done on Twitter. Theoretically, yeah, they, the they thing could, was done theoretically they get a shout across the office. Hey, you! That was a lousy yeah, joke. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. That's all you need. But no, they, they they rip each other the bits, and it's all in public. And uh, as as this disaster moved forward, uh, reporters were reportedly frustrated because every time they'd contact a source for a story or some background, 
all the source wanted to talk about was the Washington Post. <laughs> Naturally. Talk about making yourself the story. <laughs> You'd never want to do that, man. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just been very entertaining. The incredible thing is all these uh, allegedly big names at the Washington Post, Dave Weagle, Felicia, Felicia Sonmez and so on, a lot of people who follow, even people who follow American politics very closely, haven't heard of these people. Mm. You know, the first time they've come to notice, even among close observers of American politics, is when they start beating each other up on Twitter. These people are uh, famous for nothing. It's uh, spectacular. There's effect. plenty more to explore here, and we should come back and, and do it. Uh, uh, I mean, for instance, I mean, is this the way one does communicate now? I mean, am I old fashioned in, you know, having an argument with my wife in person? Uh, should I should she and I be exchanging blows over Twitter? I, I don't know. <laughs> it wouldn't be very edifying. But look, we I, no, I no. think unless I'm very much mistaken, we've got Senator Alec Antic joining us on the line from Adelaide. Alex, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. And uh, if I could work out how to use my picture camera, I'd be even more here. So, I th- well, I, I thought you looked like the man in black right now on the screen. <laughs> Sitting in a sitting in a coal cellar against a black background. It's very true, and I feel like that sometimes too. I've just got to. Uh, I thought I had this sorted out, but give me a minute, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll see if I can uh, see if I can okay. come back to you. We'll just carry on a bit of banter in the meantime. <laughs> you don't actually need it if it doesn't work, Alex. Well, that may that may well be the end result, yeah. I think, Tim. But uh, it says more about my knuckle dragging tech abilities than it does anything oh, else. Oh, look, uh, you've um, you've uh, you're not alone in that regard, my friend. <laughs> Now, Alex, this is the first time we've had a chance to talk to you since the uh, the round of involuntary redundancies at Parliament House, otherwise called <laughs> the federal election. Um, shouldn't joke about it. You lost a lot of good colleagues there and some other colleagues too. Let's just recap. So the, the coalition were in power. You represent the Liberal Party in the state of South Australia. Uh, you were in government, what, just over three weeks ago? Now you're not. The people have spoken. Democracy is a great thing, but... Um, was this a surprise? Well, look, I, I have to say, I don't, I don't think it was a surprise. Um, uh, and I mean, politics is a, is a funny business. It, there's a lot of um, attempts at making it more statistical and more, uh, you know, more scientific than it is. Uh, and I mean, in fact, the, the news polls showed that we were behind for a longest period of time. And those two lines on the graph never really met or came close to it, really. We never really got much traction at all. Um, but for me, the, the thing that I noticed and, and saw from a while away was just the mood on the ground. Politics, of course, is so much about putting your hand on the ground and feeling the vibrations. And you could just feel a combination of factors, I think. I, I think there's just a natural attrition from a, from a government that is, um, you know, going for a fourth term. And for, for uh, you know, that, that's, that's hard in itself. Um, there's been a lot of suggestion, I think, that, that our... 2019 election was a bit like Labor's of 1993, um, and then of course we know what happened in '96, and then you know here in 2022. So I think there was that natural attrition. But I mean, I, I have to say that I, I, I did have the view for a long time. I probably even talked about it with you guys on this show that I felt as though we needed to, to get back to what what the Liberal Party should be doing. I, I have a feeling that both at state level here in South Australia and federally the party had drifted too far to the centre and that we, had, um, we hadn't given people a reason to vote Liberal in the way we should. I think our primary vote shows that. 36% is a pretty low number. Labor had 32, of course, so uh, there's another discussion there about what's happened to the major parties and how they're, how they're being viewed by the electorate. But 
Look, I think to answer your question, no, I, I don't. I don't feel as though it was a surprise. I, I'm sad to say I had a I had a sinking feeling about it for for many many months prior to, and I, and I know there'd be many who would have shared that view, I suppose. Before the election, Alex, I, I just did a, to give a brief preview of the incoming Labor government. I said that we should maybe expect them to be less competent, but a hell of a lot more woke. Now I think I'm right. How are you judging that? Yeah, look, I think it's inevitable. Um, we had a situation here in, in South Australia where the new Premier, Peter Malinowskis, pitched uh, very predictably in the middle ground, um, almost like a Liberal liberal opposition leader and uh, you know, promising to bring back the, form, uh, the, uh, the Clipsal 500, yep. doing all the sorts of things that you'd expect a Liberal leader to do. And then as soon as um, you know, he formed government, uh, almost within minutes, uh, the left of the Labor Party kicked into gear and called it, you know, put a climate emergency on us, and you know, which is sort of a little bit counterintuitive <laughs> to the Clipsville 500, the V8 just, race. Just a, just a little, yeah. Uh, and uh, so we we, we 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 made a little logo, the old V8 logo with climate emergency on it, and you know, sent that over to Labor to <laughs> see if they'd use it. But they haven't yet. That's all right. There is a climate emergency here on here on the uh, the east coast, at least. It's bloody yeah. cold. It's been cold. Yeah. For weeks. It's freezing. I think it's high time that you South Australians did your bit by powering up the V8s. Yes. We have to. We have to turn them on because I'm cold in July and I need to get I need to get a suntan. So let's hope we can do it. Um, that's enough to get you. That's enough to get you shadow banned now. As it is, that kind of it's like that joke you were talking about before. That's almost heresy. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we must not speak the truth. Um, so um, I uh, look. I, and so just to highlight the point, I, I expect we'll see a lot of that out of Labor. We've only had the one day back in Parliament so far, which was hmm. Monday a week ago, and um, it's an interesting feeling. I uh, I mean, I've only been in for you know one term, and um, but you know we're on the other side now. We're in the opposition party room, and um, I could see a lot of movement on the blue carpet with officers being flipped around, and I, I think we're going to see a cavalcade of this stuff. Um, you know, voices to Parliament, and uh, uh, you know, f faster action on climate change. But of course, um, th that's all come home to roost with gas yep. shortages and higher prices. So let, let's see how Labor handle that. There is a there is a dose of reality, it seems to me, creeping in. Here's the thing, Alex. I was looking back. You might remember it's possibly the most useless document any government has ever taken into government with it from opposition. It's called Powering Australia, and it was Labor's plans to power the nation. I just checked it this morning. I read the 1,036-word summary on the Labor Party website. 1,036 words about powering Australia. Two words aren't included in there. That's coal and gas. And yet now they're in power. It mm. must surely be dawning on even Chris Bowen that without coal and gas, we're buggered. Is that right? It's just you get that impression it's slowly come to their realisation. Well, I think it must be a very different world when you're sitting in the ministerial office and you have to make decisions that actually mean something. This is always the great yeah. advantage the Greens had and the Australian Democrats had before them was the ability to shoot from the hip. Similar in backbench, of course, is we have that same privilege. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's very true of, uh, of parties in opposition and opposition leaders. It's very, all very easy to criticise. We've seen a whole heap of that. Uh, and once you're actually in there pulling the levers and you've got to deal with things like the economy and, uh, and the reality of it, you see a very different, a very different outset. So I think it is. And it, we've seen a lot of backtracking on that. Even some of these, these newly minted Teal candidates like uh, Dr. Ryan, I think, are saying, well, you know, we've got to lean on gas or yep. whatever, whatever the comment was. And, you know, for a little while in the interim, um, you know, until we get whatever, until we get the renewable mix right, well, good luck with that. 
Um, so it is interesting seeing the backtracking now. It's a, it's a much easier place to fire from the hip in opposition, that's for sure. Well, we've got a great example of that too. During the election, uh, Labor ran ads attacking the government and the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Scott Morrison over $5 lettuces. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're three weeks in and lettuces are now 12 bucks. 12 so bucks. whose fault is that? You know, <laughs> come on. Well, if, I mean, if everything's the fault of the prime minister, yeah. Alvo's got to—he's got to—he's got to beg for forgiveness for twelve-dollar lettuces. I bought a lettuce the other day; he owes me seven bucks. That's the <laughs> difference. But <laughs> yeah, you need a lot of cabbage right. to buy a lettuce. Talking that's of right. you know yeah. what it feels like on the ground, and you—you—you you, you are one of those senators who does spend a lot of your time out there in the community, Alex. Mm-hmm. It is—it's it, biting, right? Cost of living. Yeah. is biting particularly amongst the you know the less well-off people who have to spend more of their income on heating the house and and on food than the rest uh, there's no doubt about it i was reading an article yesterday showing the the, the coal face of this the, the increases in prices at the supermarket which of course are things that people notice uh and yeah we really are and it was inevitable i mean the, the thing that i find extraordinary out of all of this though is i've heard it said that um a lot of this stuff is so unbelievably um, avoidable that you can't imagine how this could have been done by the Biden administration unless it was being done on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. you know, I mean, who knows what the answer to that is, but um, certainly the very predictable response of shutting off the uh, uh, Keystone XL pipeline, shutting off oil production, particularly when it looked in contrast to what the Trump administration was doing, which was keeping that... Uh, that energy independence going. I mean, it's a very, yeah. very predictable result, isn't it? Pet- petrol prices are high, transport's high, fertilizer's high, inflation follows, and it comes on the back of having printed trillions of dollars. You'd almost have to be trying to be that that hopeless. So, unfortunately, we're on the tail end of that here in Australia. We've caught that, you know, they've sneezed and we've caught the cold, and obviously there are some domestic factors as well. But, um, yeah, I think it really is starting to bite. And, of course, looking down the barrel of high gas prices, I mean, really, the answer to this is not more solar panels. The answer to this is stuff that people like myself and Matt Canavan and, and you guys too, I might say, have been shouting about for years on end, which is mm. more exploration for fossil fuels because how about that? We still need coal and gas. We should. I mean, and the, the irony of it is that we live in this country where we've got all the options we need. We haven't even talked about nuclear. That's become trendy again. Um, but uh, some of us have been talking about that for years on end as well. And, yeah. you know, what, why are we not using all options? Um, those restrictions should be off. And I know, I mean, if, if ever there was a safe ground for this statement, it would be the MRC podcast, but uh, the yeah. six o'clocks will. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but let's let the market work out whether nuclear power is, uh, is affordable or not. Let's just get rid of the restrictions. Do you reckon we need to do that? I mean, Chris Bain, the energy minister, has told us most assuredly that it isn't affordable. And he does that yeah. with the benefit of what? Ooh, basically 40 years in politics and a degree in <laughs> economics from yeah. Sydney University. I, I, I'm with you. I think I'd rather test the market on this one. There's nothing more compelling than a career politician telling us about things uh, about the market. I mean, you know, I, I, don't need, I don't need politicians and I certainly don't need government telling me what's, what, what the market can and can't do. I want the market to tell me that. So, I mean, that's the pure version of this. We've got this roadblock in, in uh, you know, in, in, the, in the issue of nuclear power, which is this, this legislative prohibition. I don't want to hear whether Chris Bowen thinks it's... I want to know whether, you know, new comp power or whatever, whoever's doing this work now with the, you know, small modular reactors and, uh, and the new power plants thinks it's, it's achievable, if they think it's achievable. Because, by the way, 
green power, as it's called, um, take away the subsidies, and you, uh, I mean, that is uh, that is not affordable either. We know that, so yeah. it's a bit of a moot, moot argument, isn't it? I wish it was a mute argument in a lot of cases, Alex. Um, Mate, uh, just just if I could just a slight diversion. You mentioned earlier the 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 Clipsal 500, which was always a huge weekend in Adelaide. It was a just to recap for people who aren't aware of the history of this event. uh, Adelaide used to host, of course, the Formula One Grand Prix, uh, lost that race to Melbourne, and in a very clever move. They instead adopted V8 supercars for the uh, the typical uh, for the for the weekend's uh, motorsport event yeah. through the using most of the same circuit, and it was a hugely popular thing. Had some government backing as well as obviously a lot of private investment, yeah. and a state a conservative state government withdrew that funding, and the event was taken away, and not mm. just for the period of uh, the the pandemic, but for good. Was there a class element to that, Alex? Was there a, a kind of a, a posh kind of teal snobbery about V8 supercars that led to that? There's an interesting local dynamic to that whole, which Nick would probably be um, aware of having seen a little bit of it in, in his in his SA days. But that particular area is um, is a very well-to-do part of the inner city. Uh, it's, it's an area that, that oh, yeah. um, is right on the Victoria Park race course, which is, used to be an old functioning race course. That's part of the track. Yeah. But yeah. it's also home to some of Adelaide's most... Um, elaborate um, mansions on on East Terrace there. Uh, So it was a very polarising event in one sense. The locals, patches of the locals hated it. They absolutely Mm -hmm. hated it. The sort of high end of town, if you like. Uh, And yet the city itself, I think, loved it. I certainly did. I mean, I'm not a V8 fan, but it was a massive event and it used to bring in a great concert every year, genuinely good concert. You know, they'd get some really good acts and it was... You know, just another, it was almost a catharsis for us, I think, having lost. I remember very vividly the, the beginning and the end of the Grand Prix in SA, and that, yeah. that, was a, that was a real dent for SA. Just psychologically losing it was, a, um, I think, almost the moment where we felt like we were, you know, on the back foot a little bit. So getting the Clipsal up and running, as it was called, it's now called the Supercars or whatever, it was yeah. a real shot in the arm. But you're absolutely right. I, I don't know that, uh, that it was ever really appreciated by our then government um and i think there was an element of well that's just something for you know labor voters maybe i don't know what the i don't know what the rationale was i always yeah. suspected there was a hope that there would be some sort of um formula e type race to replace it some sort of woke race which which there is one i'm not sure if there were talks about that but that was always the suspicion uh, i cannot think of anything more um preposterous <laughs> than a motor race of cars that don't make noise it's yeah. like uh, you know, it's like going to an air show with a with a with paper planes, um, but you know, I, 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 there really is. I mean, it is a shame. It'd be great. It would be great to see it back. I, I just love the hypocrisy of the Labor government saying we're going to be we're going to be in a climate emergency. So let's bring back, you know, let's bring back the V8s. It's, it's great. Part of, it's it's part of your heritage in Adelaide, Alec. You know, the old Holden plant at Elizabeth yeah. shut down a few yeah. years ago. A few weeks ago, I, I was in the Holden Museum. In uh, Achuca, we talked about that on this show, what a great brand it was. But it is part of Adelaide. And the V8s, which were made in that factory until, what, about ooh, four years ago, I think. I, I remember yeah. one of your former parliamentary colleagues, Nicole Flint, got one of the last ones to come off the production right. line. Which, she, which, did. Which, she did, she did, she did. I work out, she's, she, 
she was very sniffy driving me around town because I wanted a cup, take a cup of tea with me. She wouldn't let me take a cup of tea in there in case I spilled it on the upholstery. But uh, that car, as I, I think, looking at the the price of cars, is probably worth double what she paid for it. It's a collector's <laughs> item. It's part of Adelaide history, and I, I, I just think that any government that doesn't recognise that really doesn't get Adelaide. It was a funny thing. You're absolutely right. It was welded into the DNA here in SA. That that site out in Elizabeth is is amazing. It's now a um, an industrial um, estate, if you like, and uh, it's some good things happening out there. I had a bit of a tour of it um, about six months ago, and it's it, it is sort of part of SA's tradition. There's a little um, you know sort of little hub there for what was a thriving industry, and it's mm. you know you can almost feel that that sort of you know it feels a bit rust built from the US. This sort of industry that you know Detroit style things didn't happen anymore and so it's it's nostalgic um it 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 does tap back into all of those things the formula ones and the holden you know the car industry that was here in sa and it had an impact there's no doubt about it electorally people didn't like that there was a series of things that i just fundamentally disagreed with with my own liberal government here uh, raising land tax uh, pursuing social policy issues that didn't need to be and were were largely offensive Uh, and you know there is there's an electoral cost for that Let's go to that that argument in the Liberal Party, Alex. We should talk about it. So you you you, I think it's fair to say you're generally associated with the Conservative end of the party. How do you feel now? You're going to have to go round and put on teal ties and teal sweaters and dress in teal because isn't that the way we're going to win the election to become yeah. more teal? Yeah. Well, I mean that's very very funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Only it was. Yeah. I had to start that, so I just thought I'd start with a missive. <laughs> Yeah, look, there's that theory poking around. We, we've heard that, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, I'd love to know how many times in history that's worked. It's certainly not going to work this time. Um, the, the issue, the irony of the teal candidates was that in each case, I think almost in each case, the, the teal candidates uh, who won were, they won against, I guess, our former MPs who uh, who had done things like cross the floor to vote against parts of the religious discrimination bill, mm. uh, had spent, you know, bits of time, and not every time, but certainly trying to appeal to that electoral market, you know, by being more like Labor and the Greens, Labor and the Greens light. And I always say with, in those circumstances, when you give them, when you throw that, that constituency a bone, they, they, don't, they don't sort of save you. They take the bone no. and crack you on the head with it and throw you out of office. And that's exactly what happened. So, I mean, I, I think there's a whole argument there about whether or not those inner city seats are going to be liberal seats again. Um, I, I think they can be. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But people want to vote for a liberal party. They don't want to vote for, you know, white flag wearing, waving, you know, surrender, you know, monkeys, as you know. That, that can't Absolutely. be us. We've got, we've got to hold the line on our values. Peter Credlin wrote a great article in The Australian about this. One of my constant frustrations in politics is having people turn up their nose. People on my side of politics turn up their nose about the culture wars, like it's beneath their dignity. Well, guess what? People vote on values. I mean, you know, yeah. this, this suggestion that we're going to get re-elected simply because, uh, you know, we saved you from COVID or whatever it might be, uh, is a nonsense. They're, they're not going to do that. They want to see their country protected. They want to see their values protected. And the future for the Liberal Party, as it always is in opposition, uh, is, a, is a party that, that, that speaks to its values. And, and people will return. I, I'm confident of that. Absolutely. Culture causes politics. It doesn't work the other way around. Right. You've got to get the culture stuff first. Alex, just uh, on, again, local energy issues, you've got a, a, another power source in South Australia besides coal, besides uranium. Hmm. You've got a dirty, great, big musk battery, don't you? 
Yeah, we do. Yeah, Jamestown up in the up mm. in the mid north. Yeah, we get thirty four seconds of power out of that a day, which is excellent. It's great power. Oh. Um, you know, it might it might be thirty five <laughs> seconds or maybe forty seconds of power, but it's fantastic. Um, I remember when it was open, people were saying it's going to be a tourism draw. Is that worked out? Well, it might well be a bit like the old Holden factory. It's probably going to be very very. No, I'm being flippant, but that's for good reason. Um, it's um, look, these are yeah. These these are just sideshows. We we all know that. This is like, um, uh, you know, it may well be part of the future. You know, I always think about. Remember when Apple in the early '90s created the Newton, uh, yes. and they were miles ahead of their time. To be fair, they were really. It really was basically an iPhone, but the the the, the community and the technology wasn't quite there, and it was hopeless. It didn't. You know, we yep. used to do sort of recognition of your writing and all that sort of stuff, and it would. It was all before its time. Maybe batteries are like that in due course when the technology gets better. But right at the moment, I mean, give me a break. It, it, it literally does hold for the entire state something like two minutes it could hold the state together. And it's one of the biggest batteries in the world. And we all know what happens to the chemicals and where you get them from. There's all these associated problems. Um, yeah. That was a, a product of the former Wetherill government. And, it, and it, I think it started actually after the... Um, after the great blackout of uh, whatever it was, 2017. He or... did, and if, if I recall right, Elon Musk actually came to South Australia and met he with... Did. with yeah. the, yep. that, that was the bad Elon Musk, by the way, not the good one we've got now. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was previous Elon Musk. That wasn't the one we love now. Not the one who's saving Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, any given night here in SA, we, we, and I know this because my colleague and, and the great man, uh, Senator Matt Canavan, tweeted this the other day, uh, last week in fact, at uh, six o'clock at night in SA, we were using 70% uh, of our, for, or for our energy mix, we were using 70% for, for, for gas, 17% mm -hmm. from diesel. We've got a diesel backup out there for when the battery's not working and so on. Uh, something like 5% from wind power and unsurprisingly at six o'clock at night, nothing from solar, that'll shock everyone. Um, but uh, so, you know, it goes to show this, 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 and, uh, you know, of course, the, the lefties would say, oh, well, that's because we haven't invested enough in wind power and uh, oh, or batteries, yeah. we need more batteries. Well, you know, I mean, the reality here is our future, our immediate and midterm future is with coal and gas. He's, Matt Canavan's exactly right. We should be looking at options like these high energy, uh, you know, high efficiency coal parts as well as everything else and releasing the shackles on nuclear power. Let's just see. I mean, let the market tell us. We know it's safe. Mm. And if it's not cost effective, all right, that's fine. You've always got your diesel and thank goodness for it. I remember I think the last time I was in Port Augusta was uh, just after they closed that power station. Do you remember that, that yeah. beautiful coal fire power station was running quite perfectly? Mm. And I sat there with my mate Maley outside a pub on a 40 degree day and... Um, God, we were sweltering in the pub. You know, everybody was sweltering. Mm. And then, luckily, somebody went out and cranked up the diesel generators and it cooled yeah. down in about five minutes. But the irony of that, yeah. there we were yeah. sitting with diesel generators, the sort of racket that I remember from my days as a foreign correspondent in Phnom Penh, yeah. uh, because that was the only fuel source they had. You've got a perfectly good coal-fired power station next door and for some reason the, the Premier the, just closed nothing... it down. There's nothing like the soundstage of renewable energy, is it? It's a beautiful little Hollywood production. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is very sustainable. Uh, just don't look at the diesel generator next door there. Mate, uh, just on your second home, Canberra, yeah. they crow a lot in, in Canberra about being uh, having their power supply coming 100% from renewables. Mm. What, they, what they never say, though, and you'd be very aware of this, 
They don't actually make anything in Canberra, do they? They don't have any industry. They don't have anything big to run. Yeah. It's like it's like bragging about, you know, using a diesel generator, for example, to power a pub. Mm. They uh, they run basically a bunch of houses. You know, they run a dormitory mm. off of renewables. Well, yeah, la di da. Try and build something, you freaks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, of course, I've never. <laughs> I don't know. They don't. They don't make any. They make a mess of a lot of things in Canberra, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> We're grateful for the South Australian electors for electing you as their representative in the Senate. If for nothing else, but for this marvelous moment, can someone please provide me with a definition of what a woman is? Department of Health. Definition of a man. Definition of a woman. Anyone? It's pretty basic. Basic stuff. Professor Murphy. (laughs) I think there are there are a variety of definitions, and I I think just a simple one. Perhaps to give a a more fulsome answer, we should take that on notice. You're going to take on notice the question of what a woman is. No, well, there there are a variety. It's a very it's a very uh, it's a very contested space at mm. the moment, Senator. It's not I just mean, a woman who's born a woman. But there are definitions in it's terms hilarious. of how people identify themselves. So we're happy to provide our working that definition is on one of the, I'm, I've only been here two years. That's the best thing I've seen thus far. <laughs> that is fantastic. I love, I love the bit where you just say... <laughs> I love the bit where you say, Alex, anyone? <laughs> this plaintive plea. <laughs> anyone? It was, it was almost... I mean, I, I, honestly, it was... Oh, they're just, you know, I do feel a bit sorry. I, th- I have a feeling that if you could see the vision of that, it, 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 poor old Professor Murphy looks around like someone from HR is going to come and hit him on the back of the head with something heavy. But, you know, he, he almost, you know he wants to say what we want him to say, but it, he just, he feels as though the, 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 the backroom operators are going to get him. And there's that beautiful moment where there's silence and then someone coughs in the background. I mean, it's <laughs> it was unfortunate. It was, and, and I mean, it none, was of it was, none of it was digitally altered uh, except for the tumbleweed we put on there, which, uh, which went through. And the, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, actually, interesting story, sub-story to that. We, we, that was, uh, oh, well, two months ago. And yeah. I, I think well, we still haven't had an answer. He took it on notice. We still, I'm, I'm still chasing <laughs> that answer. This was such a complicated question that the Department of Health are still working on the answer some two months later. So stay tuned. We must, of course, Alex, acknowledge the great US commentator Matt Walsh, who was, yeah. um, with that question, yeah. what is a woman, has uh, has highlighted a lot of the flaws and frailties of the sort of gender movement. And uh, I think we should organise a screening of that, an Australian sure. screening. So at some point, I haven't seen that yet. I have available via the Daily Wire, if uh, any listeners want to want to take a look at it. So there's a, a number of compelling shorts that have already been um, uh, put on social media and various platforms. But uh, that is, it is, who would have thought that that would be the question, Alex, the, a defining question of our time? It's extraordinary, isn't it? It, it? And it does show how far we've come. I mean, as I said uh, a little while ago, five years ago probably, five years ago would have been enough for that to have been a absolutely nonsensical question, which yeah. you know, would, would, have re- would have received laughs and sniggers. And now it's... We were in a position, and it wasn't only that department, I must say. I, I asked the same yeah. question of the Department of uh, uh, Trade and uh, also of uh, the Workplace Gender Equality Department, <laughs> who are there to stand for, you know, making sure that women, um, you know, get their fair share of pay. And 
it was extraordinary that we couldn't actually get an answer about what a, what a woman was from that particular department either. So it was very vexing, apparently. Apparently our bureaucrats are confused. Well, it is, you're probably not wrong about HR getting involved and, uh, and um, setting people straight because a lot of people obviously in the um, corporate world, you know, the business landscape, have had to deal with um, ever more intrusive HR uh, bullying, I guess you call it, in, in, the, uh, in the modern language. But what, what's the what's the procedures in Parliament for that sort of stuff? Do you have an equivalent of HR, or you do you HR yourselves? Well, there is, there is the yeah, there's the Ministerial and Parliamentary Services Department, which deal with a lot of this stuff. And of course, um, you know, I think for um, people on the payroll, that's that's a that's a thing. I, I mean, this is part of the debate that's been had about you know some of the issues that have come up in Parliament. Where you know where yeah. is the oversight on parliamentarians? And probably not unreasonable. Yeah. Um, but no, there isn't. One of the great joys in my life is not to be subject to an HR department for at least the next three and a bit years. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see how long we can keep that going. But uh, where would we be without without the HR department? Um, it would be a terrible, terrible world. Yes, mm. full of angels singing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So g- g- give me an your thoughts. I mean, it's early days yet. You say you've only been back to Parliament for one day for a party mm. meeting. You know, there's a lot of doom and gloom around on the Liberal side. You know, we've finished. I don't know whether you noted this, but only the fourth time in its 78-year history the Liberal Party has actually been thrown out of government, which is a pretty mm. good record. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't happen often. So w- where to from here? What lessons should you draw and how quickly can the party recover? Well, starting with the second question first, I, I think very quickly. I, I agree with um, with Peter Dutton. I think we can we can be back in government very, very shortly, um, which leads into the first part of the question, which is what needs to be done. And uh, I, I, I just think there is no no question about it. The Liberal Party's got to get back to Liberal values and, and we can't drift from it. And we've got to have the argument. We've got to start having the contest of ideas. The, the, the key, I think probably the most obvious um, indicator of that is, is this energy climate change uh, uh, situation that we found ourselves in where we almost can't have the debate for fear of getting shouted at. Um, nobody seems to be comfortable in saying, we'll, we'll take whatever version of the science you like, but why is it we are cutting off our nose despite our face here or, or self-harming uh, when we're producing 1% of the world's emissions? The, the same amount, by the way, as we know, that China add to its tab every year. I mean, it really, this, this, this ongoing more action on climate change must fall and, fall and die at that point. And yet, it mm. seems to be the conservative side of politics that that does nothing but acquiesce to this, to this uh, sort of hysteria. And then we expect somehow to win over the the, the inner city seats that have that have drunk the Kool Aid on this stuff. H- how come we're not having the argument? So you know, let's start having that. Let's start pointing out the, you know, the uh, the lunacy of some of this stuff. Um, and I, look, sadly, I think the economic situation is going to do a bit of that for us. I think there's an element of that. Um, there, there have been times where I've thought perhaps uh, that that is where the tide will turn. Um, but the Liberal Party has got to be ready to pitch the message that uh, it has a different vision, I suppose. And, and I think the only way to do that is to give people something to aim at and to give them the Liberal Party they used to vote for. I, I heard too many people this time around saying, I'm not voting for the Liberal Party this time because, you know, of whatever the reason was. Um, you know, th- th- those, those primary uh, results tell the story. Um, it was only, I think, a 3.2 swing, 3.2% swing to Labor this time round. It's not exactly a decisive victory. There's a lot of power no. in incumbency. I get all of that. But 
you know, I don't, I'm not sure I'd necessarily want to be the prime minister at the moment. I think it's going to be a bit of a rough road as well. So you know, we've got to give the we've got to give the people of Australia, the Liberal Party, they they, they knew. Well, Alexis, it's good to know that you're in there, that you're a member of that party fighting for conservative values. Thank you very much for joining us again on Water Cooler. And um, let's keep in touch. Well, let's talk again as things progress. Let's, let's talk again when I can get my camera right. How about that? That'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need someone here to help me. That'll be. Yeah. We, we need millennials. We need just. Yeah, just... I need a millennial somewhere. Where is <laughs> just go outside and yell, yell for a millennial, and uh, the, the job will be right, mate. Isn't it amazing? You can never find a millennial when you want one. <laughs> what is a millennial? That's the question we should be asking. <laughs> Good on you, Alex. Damn straight, me neither, man. To international news, perhaps we should just start by reflecting on what a wonderful weekend it was in Britain last weekend, the Jubilee of the Queen. Was that a fantastic... Yes show they put on and it really uh, was paddington was outstanding i thought that was one of the highlights of it and uh, and the queen idiot bear so clumsy i know couldn't help getting a little bit teary seeing the queen i must admit but then that's that's me but look um not so not such a good week for boris johnson who faced that uh vote of no confidence not by the parliament mm. mind you but by his own party Yep. And 141 members of his own party, I think 211 had confidence in him, 141 didn't, which doesn't bode well. He's getting it all round. Why should we believe anything you say when it has been proven you're a habitual liar? Well, I, first of all, uh, don't agree with the, the conclusion that, uh, that uh, Tim, uh, the questioner asked, but uh, or the premise of the question, but look, uh, I think the the best thing, the best way for me to answer that that is to say, uh, look at what I get on and deliver, and what I say I'm going to to, to deliver. I think we're going to come on. So my answer, my answer, my answer about trust is, um, and and so on and so on. Tim, on he went, but I mm. mean, where do you go when you're asked a question? like that. I mean, it's got to be his own fault for going on Mumsnet in the first place, but it'd be so, you know, when it, what do you say, when it, what are you going to say when it's been proven science has shown you are a habitual yes. liar? Yeah, you don't really have much, much space beyond that point, do you? You know, no. you, there's not a lot of room to manoeuvre, so uh, yeah, Boris is in a bit of strife. Of course, we've seen votes of no confidence in previous conservative leaders, and the one thing that all of those leaders have in common is that they're not leaders anymore. It tends to get the ball rolling, doesn't it? <laughs> so I one... think Theresa May might have got, in her first no-confidence vote, might have got greater support than Boris. I'll have to look that up. I, 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 th I, think, I think you're right. They are heartily sick of Boris, I, I can yeah. say, after a brief visit back there. And you can see why. I mean, they all dutifully put up with the most ridiculous nonsense during COVID. And there he was, you know having a party, um, or so it appeared, you know, that, I think that's the problem, isn't it? We expect our rulers to obey the rules that they set, yeah. and if they don't, people come down pretty hard on that, I think. It's not that difficult, you know. Mm. Um, it's a lot easier for parliamentarians in the UK and Australia and the US, or politicians in general, to obey the rules because they've got so much, so many other layers there. They've got, you know, drivers and staff <laughs> and so on. So it's a lot easier for them to um, deal with the uh, difficulties of lockdown 
even they can't manage it and they still expect us to mask up and you know stay at home and be stupid uh no mind you i said that was a tough question i think it was a pretty tame question for him to deal with compared to this classic this was jeremy paxman i think it was his very final show hosting Newsnight, the long-running mm. BBC late-night And he was okay. famous for his tough interviews. He lined up Silvio Berlusconi for his final interview, and this is how it went. Do you have a particular problem with Angela Merkel? Yeah. Is it true you called her an unf***able lardass? Non arriverei, io non ho mai. But, all right, in, let's uh, take... Scusi, non ho mai, in 20 anni di politica, insultato nessuno. No, I have okay. never had any problems with Angela Merkel. In 20 years of politics, I have never insulted anyone. And this has been made up by someone who wanted to turn Angela against me. And the time when you jumped out from behind a monument and went cuckoo to uh, Angela Merkel, that was just a joke, was it? Malay! She enjoyed it. I explained why I did the cuckoo thing. A few days earlier, I had been to St. Petersburg to visit Putin. A San Pietroburgo? Per incontrare Putin. Putin si nascose dietro un pilastro, io andai verso la porta e lui da dietro mi fece cucù. Putin hit behind the pillar and did cucù to me from behind. Merkel and I were really on good terms, so when she came to Trieste, I thought of what Putin had done and I basically hit behind the monument and did the same thing. Berlusconi, don't we miss him on the world stage? He was stage. a colourful, colourful character. Uh, I liked his suits. Yes. He always wore nice suits. Last heard uh, fighting off a jail sentence, I think. I don't know whether he succeeded uh, or not. Yeah, he's either in power or on, or in court. He has two two places. There's a certain Trumpian element to that. Um, yeah, we all miss Silvio. How old? He must be deep into his 80s now. Sure. He must be, but I bet he's lost none of the fire. Oh, you reckon he's still up for some bunga bunga action? I reckon. I reckon a man like him, he, you know, he, he's like a good friend of mine, Michael Bohm. You know, you know, yeah. good old Michael Bohm, former former MP, former senator. Uh, yeah. I went to his ninetieth birthday party during COVID. Uh, very lively affair, mm. uh, which he gave a marvelous speech. He said, "My ambition is to die on my one hundredth birthday." At the hands of a jealous lover. <laughs> Good old Michael. Oh, that's beautiful. God love you. That'll be Berlusconi too. Anyway, we must go now. I'm sorry I've been a bit somnolent today, Tim. I was just, before we spoke, I just uh, was interviewing the great Paul Kelly for another podcast. Uh, Paul Kelly, editor at large of The Australian. I love that title. How do you get a title like that? Former editor in chief of Good in yes, Australia, who's been around forever. I pointed out to him that. The coalition have lost power four times, just four times that the Liberal Party have been thrown out of office. The first in 1972, second 1983, third 2007, and then 2022. Paul Kelly has been a working journalist at every one of those elections, 50 years or more. Yep, he's an he's a institution, and, uh, and we were speaking before off here about Paul, that unlike some journalists of his era, uh, Paul is always built on his knowledge and built on his history. He doesn't start each day as though everything's brand new. He knows it's part of a continuum, and uh, you get that sense through all of his uh, work, whether it be in print or uh, on uh, television and radio.
a very impressive human being. And he calls the game like a football commentator, doesn't he? It's like, you know, you, you should not be able to tell which team a football commentator barracks for. And uh, <laughs> Paul does that. He just, enjoy, he just enjoys reporting on the game of politics. I'm, yeah, and you need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You need someone, need some people to do that, yeah. A great skill, Well, uh, we, we, we seek, which we seek to emulate here, Tim. I don't think anybody can pick out our partisan condition. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right, yeah. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for listening. They can't tell them whether we're Nats, Nats or Libs. So, yeah, that's always good. Thank you for listening to this free podcast. The only charge is the obligation to give us five stars on your favourite podcast provider. That's it, I think, Tim, is it? We'll be back again next week. Yep. Yes, we will. Thanks. Good stuff. See you, mate. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. You know... It wasn't many moons ago that they thought we were a bunch of rough diamonds down. <laughs> but you know, we've got more culture than a penicillin factory in Australia. How good is Australia? Yeah!